Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We're talking about Jesus and about being a disciple. And the word in Greek to be a disciple is Talmudin. Everyone say Talmudin. Talmudin is a Greek word that means to be a follower of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus is a process. Everyone say process. We're this side of, oh, that, say process. The process of becoming more like Jesus. And that is a lifelong task that it invades every part of our life. And this idea of becoming more like Jesus has these different phases. Big part of the phase is that we're going to be making sure that we understand who Jesus is. On the top of your notes, for those of you who are lucky enough to have your notes, it's this. The discipleship is this. It's spending time with Jesus to become more like Jesus so that we can do what Jesus did. And one of the primary ways that we spend time with Jesus is through the Bibles, reading God's Word. And there are these spiritual disciplines, which is part of being a disciple. And one of the primary ones that we do is we spend time daily in God's Word. We're reading God's Word daily. Many of us subscribe to a, a daily verse of the day, um, and we then share that not only with each other, um, but we also uh, communicate with God through reading God's Word. The The second thing that we do as disciples is, is we, we spiritually journal. That means that we're just not reading God's Word, but we're listening to what God's Word is saying. I want to remind you, reading God's Word, while we're reading God's Word, God's Word reads us. And so what we did a couple weeks ago is we made these spiritual journals available. There's just a couple of them are left. And we made those available for you. And inside of this is an acronym called SOAP. Everyone say SOAP. And SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And that when we read Scripture, we make an observation, an application to our life, and then we pray. Now, the third discipline that we talked about of what it means to be a Talmudine or a disciple of Jesus is going to be prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. And it's a two-way street. We not only talk to God, but what we also do is we hear from God and we're listening to God and I found it to be helpful to have an acronym to follow God in prayer and it's acts it's adoration confession thanksgiving and supplication that I'm thanking God for who he is I'm acknowledging who he is before I'm asking God for something and a lot of times I'm reminded of just how good God is and what he's done in my life last week we looked at the fact that coming together and joining together and worshiping together is a big part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus that we've been called to be the family of God we've been called to be the church family and there's there's no uh, it's not a it's not a, a, a like a solo sport it's it's a group activity that we do together and it's a huge part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus the thing that i want to talk to you guys about today of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus on the way is going to be something called serving so if you're taking notes if you want your first fill in the blank it's going to be simply this it's going to be serving intentionally now, Jesus, when he was here on planet Earth, if there was anybody that could and should have been served, it would have been him. He was the king of kings and lord of lords. But yet he himself called himself a suffering servant, the son of man. 
And oftentimes Jesus would walk into rooms and instead of looking to be served, he would look for opportunities to what everyone? To serve. He would. And, and I know in our culture, it's completely different. If you're important, if you're the most important person in the room, people go out of their way to make you the VIP. They go out of their way to give you the best spot in the house. But Jesus, from time to time, would take a towel and he would wash people's feet. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi that was struggling with this idea of being servant leaders, says these words. You may want to write this down on your notes. Philippians chapter 2 and read it a little bit later. But this is what he says. To do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And I know in our culture, we struggle with that. We struggle with wanting to serve others. Why? Because in our culture, if, if we do that, sometimes we feel like we're going to get forgotten or we're going to get left out. Jesus said, though, to be his follower, to be his Talmudine is to serve other people. I've heard it said this way before, that the church never looks more like Jesus than when it serves the way Jesus served. And serving is simply this. It's seeing a need and meeting a need in Jesus' name. That's what serving is. And that's what we've done for our friends from the Ukraine. It's what some of you do when you're serving here and helping out um, uh, outside, cleaning up the, 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 the church grounds is by being welcoming, being in the worship team. It's serving in many different capacities in, in the local church and out in the community. So this is what I'd like for you to do. If you know that that there's a place where you need to be serving or where you're serving, um, and if you haven't done this yet, in your bulletin, there's a little rip away there. It's a connection card. Fill that out and make sure your name's legible and a way we can contact you and let us know where you're serving or where you would like to serve. Now, here's the thing. While you're doing that, I want to tell you real clearly just because you put your name on that doesn't mean that we're going to call you this next week and put you in that place. But rather, what it's doing is it's a way of you becoming accountable, you becoming disciplined of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not only looking to be served, but looking for opportunities to serve. And I know it's just a little bit of accountability. We love that word accountability, right, everybody? We love that. But it's our way of getting to know it. And then what we'll do is we'll then update our database and we'll make sure we know where you're serving and where you would like to serve. But let me remind you, you don't have to wait for one of us to tap your shoulder to do it. You can see a need and meet a need in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to go ahead and look at the next beatitude as a reminder. The word beatitude doesn't actually show up in the Bible. It was added there um, as, a, as a way to identify these nine statements that Rabbi Jesus makes. These are choices. These are, these are decisions that disciples make, and they're completely countercultural. And so today, in the beatitude of verse 7, Jesus says these words. It's going to magically appear on the screen. We're going to read it out together. Ready? Here we go. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, the word mercy is one of those words that we just don't use a whole lot in our culture anymore. But mercy is one of those things that, that is associated with grace it's associated with love, and we oftentimes don't see it 
in our culture. I was thinking about a time that I was shown forgiveness and grace and mercy early in my life. And it was actually my senior year of high school, and I made a really bad decision. Anybody make a bad decision in high school? Can I see your hands right there? All right, good. Well, senior year of high school, I was with my friend Dave, and we were driving too fast one night, and we were on the back streets of a dirt road in Wichita, Kansas, and I drove my car too fast, and I drove it off the road into a field, and I pretty much totaled my vehicle. And it was really bad accident. Like, probably shouldn't have walked away the way I did. But somehow my buddy Dave and I, we got the car back roadworthy and we, we made our way um, back home. And the whole way driving home, I'm thinking to myself, my dad is going to kill me, right? And so I got home and, and I did the, the, the stair walk up of shame to my mom and dad's room. And dad, I need to tell you something. What, son? I said, dad, I kind of sort of wrecked the car. And I was just waiting for the shoe to drop. And he said, son, I'm so glad you're alive. We could replace a car, but we can't replace you. I'll never forget that. That was one of the most gracious, loving, merciful things that a dad could have ever said to a son. What did I deserve? I deserved a, what will you do when you're driving too fast? I told you not to. But what I received instead was love and grace and mercy. It's, it, it, I remember it to this very day. And I think to myself, how merciful am I to others when they share those kinds of things with me in my life? I, I think about us. Can you think of a time in your life when someone ex- has shown mercy with you? When you messed up, when you screwed up, and they could have said, I told you so, but instead they said, I love you. You know, this idea of mercy, it's not really... Um, it, it, it's... it's uh, it's easy to look past. Uh, there's, a, there's a periodical, it's now on, pretty much online, it used to be a magazine called Christianity Today. Christianity Today did a case study. And the case study they did is they went on to a seminary campus. And for those of you who know what a seminary is, it's, it's where people go to learn how to be pastors. And so they, they interviewed five or six seminarians on what their career aspirations were in ministry. Some wanted to be missionaries, some wanted to be pastors, ministers, working nonprofits. But what they did, unbeknownst to those who were being interviewed, is they, they actually uh, hired an actor. And the actor portrayed himself as being homeless. And the homeless actor placed themselves between where the interview was happening and, um, uh, uh, and, and the seminarian. And it's interesting to notice that every one of the seminary students went out of their way to try to avoid contact with the homeless actor. Every one of them was so caught up in sharing what they wanted to do in life and ministry that they avoided eye contact altogether. They actually, one seminary student actually walked over the homeless actor. What we call this is, it's the opposite of the good Samaritan. We call it the bad seminarian. Now, I remember hearing that story one of my first days at seminary here at Fresno Pacific Seminary, and I thought to myself, man, I don't want to be that guy. But if we're not careful, we're going to turn a blind eye to people that are messy. We're going to turn a blind eye to people that are a little bit harder to love, people that maybe are economically challenging or relationally complicated. Jesus tells a story in the Gospel of Luke about a good Samaritan, and it's really a story of mercy. See, the story basically goes like there was a person who was disadvantaged and hurt and been beaten up. And two people who should have known better 
went out of their way to avoid this person. Walked the other way, walked the other side, came up with a lot of reasons why they were too busy, too important, didn't want to touch an unclean person. But then culturally and socially, there was this Samaritan. In the time of Jesus, the Samaritan would have been looked upon, frowned upon. No one would have expected anything good from a Samaritan. But it says that the, that caught in compassion, that the Samaritan looked to the needs of the person who had been beaten up, person who had been left for dead, and was inconvenienced, not only inconvenienced, went out of their way to provide for the needs of this person who was needing. And not only that, paid ahead and prepared and even said, I'm going to come back and I'll take care of the debt in the future. I share all that with you to say is that Jesus was telling this parable or this spiritual story for a point. And the point was, is that his heart was a heart of mercy. His heart was a heart of compassion and his heart were for those who were vulnerable. You see, I begin to think of mercy, that mercy is oftentimes a sympathetic heart with hands that are full of compassion. When you look at the life of Jesus, you just see story after story and example after example of him being a merciful, merciful minister of the good news. That's what it means to have mercy. I've got a definition of mercy for you. It's kind of mine that I've kind of made up. I'm just going to play with it for the couple of minutes that we have less, but it's going to come up here on the screen. It's that it's a God-given ability to compassionately, cheerfully, and practically love someone in need. I'm going to leave that up there for just a little bit. It's a God-given. Everyone say God-given. See, the point that I want to make is, is for the people that I believe that the Lord wants us to show mercy to, that the only way it's going to be possible if God gives us the strength and the ability to do it. Because really, if we try to do it on our own, we'll run out of ability all the time. But the idea of compassion is what it meant to be a good Samaritan. Now, that cheerful part, I know some of you got to work on that, right? I want to remind you, you know, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You heard that one? But he'll also cash a grumpy check. I want to remind you of that as well, right? But God's given ability to compassionately and cheerfully and what everyone practically love someone in need. And that's what ministry is, isn't it? It is seeing a need and meeting a need in the name of Jesus. And this is what mercy is. And it is the economy of God. The economy of God is different than the economy of this world. And our God dispenses His love, His grace, and His mercy uh, to those who are in need. But sadly, many of us have forgotten how needy we once were. A friend of mine, Paul, shared with me recently that mercy, grace, and love were never meant to be just a reservoir but they were meant to be a river. Let me explain that. That A lot of times we receive grace, we receive love, we receive mercy, and we just kind of hold on to it. And we think to ourselves, oh, how blessed I am. How, how, how rich I am in grace and in love and in mercy. And we just kind of hold on to it. But we're not very good about being, I believe, what the Lord wanted it to be. And that is to be a, a conduit of grace and mercy and love for others. Sometimes we find ourselves being hoarders of the very thing that our life depends on. 
There's this idea that Jesus says in this beatitude that if you are merciful, then mercy will be shown to you. Take, for example, this idea that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. It's going to come up on the screen right now. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's this idea in Scripture, and we don't like it a whole lot. But there's this idea that one day every one of us will stand before the Lord and give an accounting and a judgment of our life. Amen. Uh, and, and that means everything we've done and not done, we will be held accountable for. James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about it this way specifically as it relates with mercy. He says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he does what, everyone? When he judges you. So this idea of mercy being a beatitude is something that I believe we will be held accountable for. And when we ourselves struggle To show mercy to others, that means that there's a spiritual part of our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus that we cannot get past. And oftentimes, it's because of this. It's because we've forgotten how much we've been forgiven. We've forgotten how much we've received and benefited from grace and mercy. At the end of the day, it's a choice. So if you're taking notes, write this down. It is a huge choice. If I could summarize this entire message into one idea, here it is simply. It is to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Remember me saying to you that I thought mercy had to do with a God-given ability to do something? This is what I know to be true about mercy. Mercy is a lot easier to give somebody who we have nothing. We have like literally like they're a stranger. It is easier for us to show mercy to a stranger than it is to show mercy to someone who's hurt us. Let me say that again. It's easier for us to show and extend mercy to someone that we have no relationship with. But when a person has done us wrong, oftentimes we're stingy with mercy towards them. That makes sense? Just think about that. Just think about that for a little bit. That a lot of times this idea of forgiveness is going to be the thing that is going to hold us back from being dispensers of mercy to others. See, resentment and that desire to revenge is going to keep us from the Lord truly uh, being able to to work through us. Um, my microphone go off a little bit? Are we good? I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're good. All right, good. Um, uh, there's this idea um, that Jesus talks about in mercy. And, and it's one that I'm just going to meddle with you guys just a little bit. But know that I'm not meddling with you. The Holy Spirit is through his word. Okay. Um, on your notes, if you would, I want you to write this down. Luke, uh, no, uh, Matthew chapter 18. Now, Matthew 18, this entire discourse of Jesus has to do with this idea, I believe, of forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And Jesus was telling this story within the context of forgiveness. And he uses, whether it was a, a, a real analogy or a fictitious one, it doesn't matter. But let me give you the Brent uh, version of the story. Here it is. That there was, Jesus tells a story that, that there was somebody who owed somebody a lot of money. And there was a king. And the king went to collect his debt from his servant. And I'm going to put a dollar amount on there. $10,000. It could be a hundred thousand, could be a million, whatever. But it's a lot of money. And the king went to collect the $10,000 from the servant. And the servant couldn't pay for it. 
So the servant was thrown in jail and, and begs to get out of jail. And the king, out of mercy, says, yes, I will forgive your debt. So what does this servant do? Instead of being joyful and thankful and looking to forgive other people's debt, the moment he gets out of prison, he goes and finds somebody that owes him $10. And he begins to try to extract the $10 out of the person who owed him money. And the king hears about this. And he he's not happy. Let's take a look at what he actually does right here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. Then the master called the servant... You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had what everyone mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then it gets real. Next verse. All right. Next slide. Is it there? No. Oh, I guess I'll keep on reading it. Uh, there it is. All right. In anger, his master hand, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. That doesn't sound like fun. Uh, until he could pay back all he owed. And let me read here real quick. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly father, this is Jesus talking. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you do what everyone forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So there's a connection between forgiveness and mercy. And so right now what I want to do is I just want to, in the moments that we have left, I want to talk about how important it is that we embrace mercy and how forgiveness is going to be the key to that. So here's the question. Why should I forgive? If you're taking notes, write this down. This is like super simple stuff, but I have to say it anyway. Here's why. Because God has forgiven us. Amen? The reason why we would want to show mercy is because we've been shown mercy. The reason why we want to extend grace is because grace has been extended to us. Jesus mercifully paid our $10,000 debt of all of our sin. And we need to be willing to, in turn, forgive somebody's $10 debt. The second thing is, is how should we forgive then? Well, actually, Ephesians says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And so there's this whole idea that we are forgiving other people because we have been forgiven. So that's fine. That's the principle. We all agree with it. But what happens is it gets real. People actually hurt us. People actually sin against us. So how do we do it? So what I've done is I've come up with um, what's called the art of forgiveness. I don't know if anyone else has ever heard this before, but for those of us that are part of the tradition of this church, there's something about conflict resolution and peacemaking. It's a big part of our DNA. Amen? Amen? A lot of times it's fun to talk about theoretically, but to actually do it is really hard. So the A in the art of forgiveness is that we just need to acknowledge it. We need to acknowledge that we're struggling to sh- share mercy with somebody. We're, we need to acknowledge that somebody has hurt us. We, ne- we need to take that name or that face. And I know some of you right now, you're not thinking that way. That person doesn't come into your mind right now. But I'm going to tell you what, they will. It's going to happen. So you need to acknowledge it, that we live in a broken world where people do and say mean things and hurtful things. We need to acknowledge it. And then R. This is going to be hard, but we have to release it. We have to give it over to God. We have to let it go. We need to be willing to forgive. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, 
Verse 21 and 22, Peter, uh, one of the disciples, was saying, how many times do I need to forgive somebody, Jesus? And he said, seven times? You know, seven in the Bible, just so you know, it's like the, it's the, it's the number of perfection or completion. And then notice what happens here. Lord, how many times seven? Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So does that mean that Jesus said that on the 78th time, then I can tell more to go? No, I'm not saying that at all. It's just making the point that we have been called to be givers of mercy, givers of forgiveness and givers of grace. You know, this last week when we were doing our journaling together as staff and as friends and as leadership, this idea of loving your enemies was something that we talked a lot about. And that's something that's really, really hard to do. Amen. It's impossible to do without God's power and his strength and his direction. And then here is the T in the art of forgiveness. And this is going to be a hard one. We got to trade it. We need to be willing to replace our hurt with the peace of God. And we need to trust that God can redeem this hurtful thing. I want to remind you, it is easier to extend forgiveness, love, and mercy to a stranger than it is to do that for someone who's hurt us. But we need to be willing to do is to trade it. And when we trade it, a beautiful thing happens. Paul writing to the church in Philippi says these words. He says, and the peace of God will transcend our understanding and it's going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so as we, as a collective group of Jesus followers, are saying we want to develop this spiritual discipline of mercy, we're going to have a choice. And the choice is, is what are we going to do with our heart and our mind when they get hurt? And I just want to say that God can redeem and change all things and he can make them new. He can. He's done it for me and I know that he can do it for you as well. Now, there's one last thing that I want to share with you. And this is going to be a hard one. Because so far what I've been doing is I've been kind of talking about it from the position of, man, all these other people over here, they're so needy and they're so hurtful. And can you believe they did that to you? Well, here's the last part of it. Who do I need to ask for forgiveness from? Let's just go ahead and put this on the other shoe. The truth is, is that every one of us is capable of hurting people that we love. Yes? Every one of us. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I think it's really important if we're going to be talking about mercy, that we're not only going to be viewing it from the who do I need to show mercy to, but who do I need to ask for forgiveness from? See, a big part of that is is that we just need to own it. It's not on your notes, but we need to own this. We need to, we need to be willing to look in the mirror. And I'm going to say that pride is almost impossible to see in the mirror but you can see it clearly in someone else. I believe every one of us, there's probably somebody that we just need to say, I'm sorry. So you would write this down on your notes, is that we need to request to be forgiven. We need to be willing to go to somebody who we've let down, who we've hurt, we've said something about, or we didn't say the right thing, and we need to be willing to own our hurt. One of the things that I love about um, getting to, to uh, do life in the home with a principal um, is that she, she kind of talks to me about when a kid messes up in school, how important it is that that kid 
understand specifically what they did. Not that they come in and say, I'm sorry. But specifically, what are you sorry for? And so I think it's really important that when we are looking to make amends with somebody, when we're looking to ask for forgiveness, that we just don't say a general, like, I'm sorry. But that we tell a person, I'm sorry that I said this and that it was hurtful. Or that I did this and I let you down. And that we make it real. You know, Jesus was telling a story about how important this is. Um, I want to remind you that between where Jesus' ministry was, which was in the Galilee region, Sea of Galilee, in Jerusalem, it was like days worth of a walk to go from one to the other. And as I prepare to close and the band makes their way up onto the stage for this last song, I want to tell you something, that this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, when he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. And first go and be what everyone? Reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, is after you've traveled for three days and you're there at the altar, at the temple, if you realize that you're not living a merciful, graceful, loving life, you need to leave it there. You need to travel back, make amends so that you could come back and give your offering. I think that's Jesus' way of just saying this is a really big deal. That mercy is at the very heartbeat of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that if we're going to be learning some lessons along the way of what it means to be disciples, the Talmudin of Jesus, the ones who not only know Jesus' words, but apply those and live those out, it's going to require mercy. Hey, would you stand to your feet so I can pray for you as we close in this final song? So Lord God, as we now respond in this last song, I do pray that we would allow these words, God, of yours to penetrate our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus, would you more and more stir within us a desire to spend time with you, to have relationship with you, to commune with you, to do life with you. Lord God, would you, would you well up within us hearts of mercy, the kind of hearts that see needs and meet needs in the name of Jesus. Lord God, would you allow us to to become not reservoirs, but rivers of mercy into other people's lives. And Lord God, when we we look in the mirror, would we not be prideful? Would we not be like the, the bad seminarians? But God, would you allow us to be good Samaritans? That we would, that we would be inconvenienced, that we would be uncomfortable at times with seeing the real needs of real people in this world. Holy Spirit, right now, would you reveal to us the people in our life, maybe who are a little bit hard to like and they're messy and, and maybe, maybe they make us feel uncomfortable. Would you expand our hearts for those people, Lord God? Lord God, would you remind us how much we have been forgiven and so would we be willing to forgive others as well? And Jesus, now, for those of us maybe who we know that we have messed up, we've screwed up, we've missed the mark, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the person who we need to make amends with, we need to get right with God, and not allow that to be a barrier to relationship. Lord God, you love the world so much that you gave. You gave your son Jesus. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid. We can, we can be redeemed. We can be restored. We can be renewed. And we love you for that, God. So as we worship you with this final song, Holy Spirit, I pray that if there's anything that you need to do in and through our lives, 
that you would do it here and now. We're open vessels, God. Would you have your way in us and through us because you love us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com. Thank you.